0: Welcome to The Stoke. My name is Herb White. I am Editor-in-Chief at the Charlotte Post. And with us today is an FOP, Friend of Podcast, <laughs> uh, Dr. Susan Roberts at Davidson College. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. It's <laughs> great to be here. And so we are here on a bright, and fairly temperate Saturday to uh, do the podcast. But a lot of eyes are directed at North Carolina and the South in terms of the presidential uh, election campaign. Today is also the day that um, Nevada Mm -hmm. is holding its caucus. And then the next stop is South Carolina. And then we're on to Super Tuesday, where North Carolina holds part of the appeal.
1: Well, and North Carolina, according to some people, is very important. I mean, you've got California and Texas, where you might know, I mean, they're huge states, but North Carolina is a good bellwether. South Carolina is not, it's the firewall for Joe Biden, supposedly, um, but it uh, is one of those states where I found, found out it's an open primary, so that means anyone can vote, and there's been some sort of an effort to encourage Republicans to vote in the Democratic primary And to vote for Bernie Sanders, because I think some of the Republicans think that Sanders um, would clearly lose to Donald Trump. I mean, that's what some of the South Carolina Republican operatives are saying. I only learned that the other day.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the way that the primary season unfolds, you had Iowa and New Hampshire, two of the whitest states in the country, (laughs) and Nevada has a fairly significant Latino, Hispanic yeah. population, South Carolina's Democrats, large chunk of African Americans. What, if anything, have have these four primaries told you, or will they tell?
1: Well, I think um, of all of these, um, Nevada and maybe South Carolina will be very important. Um, uh, Nevada, we're going to see again if... Um, If they have the same sort of problems or anywhere near the same sort of problems as Iowa, then South Carolina will really be um, the first state uh, that has any um, really minority or representation of the rest of the country because um, I don't know which it is. I could look, but it's either Iowa or New Hampshire that has the fewest um, ethnic voters of any state in the country. Um, And so Nevada, you also have a heavy union presence in Nevada that you don't really have in South Carolina. But I think South Carolina is one of the states that everybody's looking at and that a lot of the candidates have put money in. Curious for South Carolina is it's kind of a, a twofer. You can advertise out of Charlotte into South Carolina and still go ahead and be banking some advertisement in North Carolina.
0: Yeah. And so you've got all these moving parts when you get to South Carolina and where it falls in the primary season. Uh, A lot has been made over the impact of black voters uh, and how that may or may not be now the saving grace for the Biden campaign. How important is it to Biden not only to win South Carolina, which is what he's been counting on, but to win big. he
1: many people have said, and and I agree, pundits um friends, that if Biden doesn't win big, um, then or at least you know a you know, real substantial showing when he wins. He's you know even just if he doesn't win period, it's all over. And if he doesn't win big, there'll be people saying, you know, what's the margin? What does this say? And um, I think that Biden has put the resources in South Carolina. He's not done much in Nevada. And uh, I think that most of the attention will be on uh, South Carolina and then North Carolina. I don't think there's, um, I don't know if there are many um, African-American voters that are considering Bernie Sanders. Um I just don't know. And I I know who's spent the most money in South Carolina and North Carolina, and it's Bloomberg. It's amazing when you check the number of ads that have been run. Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, which I don't think Tom Steyer has any traction in South Carolina or North Carolina, but the money they're dumping into this race.
0: Yeah, it helps to have a few billion dollars lying around (laughs) where you can just spend as you wish. But is that something where... And I know people have, have complained for years about money in politics. And there's the accusations that Mike Bloomberg is trying mm-hmm. to buy the election, although it looks like they are also conveniently forgetting that Tom Steyer is a billionaire as well.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that, about primaries is um, they, cost, uh, they drive up the cost of elections because you have to be able to compete in all those states. And that's why with um, with Klobuchar perhaps not having a strong showing in South Carolina or Nevada. Um, going into Super Tuesday, she just doesn't have the money to compete in 14 different states. Uh, Buttigieg may have the money, but Bloomberg and Steyer have the money. And Sanders has been very effective at raising the money. We don't think of him as you know, um, uh, a billionaire business person, but he's been able to raise a lot of money.
0: So when you look at the field on the Democratic side, there's a top tier and then there's everybody else. Where do you see the cutoff line once the smoke clears for Super Tuesday?
1: I see um, uh, four or five. Um, I see Sanders, uh, Warren, (laughs) um, Biden. Um, Buttigieg and uh, and Bloomberg, but I see Bloomberg. I can't really place Bloomberg. I don't know where he is. Now, he's not on the ballot in South Carolina and Nevada, so we can't really see what's going to happen. There were a lot of people that um, considered Bloomberg to be the, you know, really the top dog, but the debate, uh, his debate in Nevada, really had a lot of people second-guessing um, you know, his, his charisma or what he could do when he was in office. People say sometimes debates don't matter. This one mattered. Um, Elizabeth Warren, won. you know, had a lot of money that came in right after the debate.
0: Yeah, she raised like $3 million right after afterwards. after the debate, yeah. Yeah. But even at that, you have these factions. There's the progressive wing, mm-hmm. which is represented by Warren and Bernie Sanders, and then you have that moderate group, which seems to be everybody else with the exception of Tom Steyer. Yeah. Is it one of those situations where right now you actually have too many candidates, or is this still something that's good that you have to go through the fire of primary season in order to emerge with the very best candidate?
1: I think um, going through the primary set— season, you're going to have there are many moderates. And um, I think that that's, you know, um, uh, Bloomberg, right? He's curious. He's, you know, more moderate, but he also used to be a Republican.
0: As was Warren.
1: As was Warren. And, um, and so I don't know how they really, I know where Warren is. She's in the very progressive left end. Bernie Sanders is in the left end. Um, and then uh, if you've got uh, Biden, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg, I think um, I think Biden will emerge but that's not a given that like Buttigieg might just uh, eke in front of him. Um, he's Biden has not had a strong performance um, uh, stronger sometimes but he hasn't had a real strong performance in the debates but I think he's um, the favorite son in South Carolina. Um, I wouldn't expect him to win Nevada.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you look at Polling, and I know polls are sometimes not even worth the paper they're printed on. But in North Carolina, uh, I guess it was uh, High Point uh, University, Mm -hmm. their latest poll showed Sanders out in front among people who planned to vote as opposed to uh, registered Democrats who were looking to vote where Biden was out in front. Uh, What would you make of that, where Sanders is top dog, at least in the polling in this state. Yeah,
1: I think that, um, you know, it's a bandwagon effect. If you see who wins in Iowa and New Hampshire, you see who's getting the publicity. Um, Some voters may just say, I think Sanders um, is um, the one with the movement, kind of like Trump had a movement that he could turn out and beat Donald Trump. Personally, I don't think that that's the best candidate for the Democrats to get to beat Donald Trump, because I don't know um, some of the people, just like we said, Warren used to be a Republican, um, so did Bloomberg. Uh, well, Sanders was a Democratic Socialist or a Socialist who became a Democrat in order to get on the ballot um, in, uh, in 2016. So I think he may be doing better. I'm not sure... Um, If he can really, uh, you know, he's right now going and has the momentum, which primaries are really determined by. But um, uh, if, for example, the Republicans in South Carolina think that they need to have Sanders on the ticket, they think that they can, that Trump can beat Sanders. And if people are starting to think about electability versus, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders is an idealist. Um, he's not a pragmatist his you know he's had the, somebody said he's very consistent he's had the same ideas for a long time and that is true but he's not one that really has made his business to work with the Democrats or clearly not the Republicans and so um, I think some calculus to electability I don't I can't really fully explain um, the Sanders advantage in North Carolina right now.
0: Thanks. And it does kind of strike you, it strikes me at least, as, uh, as curious when you look at a candidate like Bernie Sanders. Like you said, he's you know, he's not necessarily in anybody's camp. He's <laughs> all for Bernie. Uh, and he has some momentum. Young people seem to be wild about him. Yeah. Even though y- you think about this field of candidates, it's like, okay, well, the only young folks are Buttigieg and Klobuchar. Everybody else is like... Okay, <laughs> we're, we're way past Social Security age. <laughs> uh,
1: very senior. <laughs> um, and that's, to me, a little curious. But, see, the millennial voters, um, you know, got behind Sanders in 2016, and many of them didn't turn out in 2016. And if those voters, those millennial voters, in which North Carolina, for example, has had um, a huge influx of millennial voters— um, over the last 10 years, if they decide to sit it out because Bernie doesn't get the nomination, then the their Democrats are looking at tough odds.
0: And also keeping in mind that North Carolina, at least in recent history, has been a very Republican state when it comes to presidential elections. And the only ones to have won in the last what, 50 years were Jimmy Carter in 76 and Barack Obama in 2008.
1: Absolutely. And I, um, I agree that it's a red state. Um, Some people say North Carolina is a swing state. There's not much swinging going on. I mean, you know, it's a battleground state. um, But it's, um, it's a purple, red state. It's not a blue state. And it's a little more red than it is purple. Because that's usually what they say in terms of, you know, have you had um, any, you know, surprises. and Barack Obama only beat um, one in 2016, or excuse me 2012, by a very small margin. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I just don't see, uh, I can't really predict the newcomers to South, to North Carolina, but there are numbers that um, many people, maybe more um, uh, voters have come, new voters from out of state, than in-state and um, as a native north carolinian i can't predict how they're going to vote i mean the north carolina native north carolinians used to be yeller dog democrats mm-hmm. and these new people you know how do they register it? there's a huge influx um in unaffiliated voters how are they going to vote um will they turn out in the primary in particular because in a primary usually it's the people that turn out that have a fierce loyalty to the party and the unaffiliated voters just may not feel the need to come out. That's that's a wild card in North Carolina primary.
0: And when you look at the state's uh, demographics, you have the younger people who are moving in from someplace else retirees who are moving mm-hmm. in from someplace else. It seems like now the the rarest North Carolinians are the ones who were actually born here. <laughs> that, that's,
1: you're absolutely There are fewer, I think. Um, uh, there may be more North Carolinians, um, and maybe more people born outside North Carolina um, in the electorate, registered to vote, than you have native North Carolinians. And um, that's, that's just a fact. I mean, I um, sometimes... Um, uh, You know, I'm out and I hear somebody say, oh, well, we've lived here a long time. We've been here like three or four years. And I'm going like, three or four years?
0: (laughs) You're just getting started. (laughs) You're just getting started. Yeah. And the other side of that electorate is urban versus rural. Yes. And how important will it be for for that dynamic to play out where you have the numbers in the cities, Greensboro, Charlotte, Western Salem, Greensboro, Wilmington, as opposed to, the not-so-urban areas.
1: I I believe that's very important. That was one of the demographics that contributed nationwide to um, 2018, and it's one of those things that you have um, the rural voters and the urban voters, um, according to the Pew Research Center, really feel like the other constituency doesn't understand their problems. And so it's not just where you live. Uh, that makes a difference, is what you kind of see as the critical problems. And um, it's, um, you know, the, the rural voters are the ones that feel kind of left behind. Um, we've always said uh, the great state of Mecklenburg, and now I think they say the great state of Mecklenburg, the great state of Wake, um, and I think they're feeling more and more shut out. Trump was able to mobilize those voters and— um, uh, I think that you had Mark Meadows um, in uh, western North Carolina, was able to mobilize with the, the Freedom Caucus, and he's not going to seek re-election, but he's going to work for Donald Trump. And um, if you continue to turn out the rural voters, who sometimes feel disenfranchised, then that, that helps the Republicans a, a great deal. Democrats are trying to make some outreach into the rural voters. It's just not succeeded yet.
0: Um Is that something where you can look at it because we are living in an age of camps? There's the conservative camp. There's the progressive camp. There's the moderate camp. Is that something where that turnout, if you're looking at it purely from raw numbers, the urban folks should have the upper hand, or is it the opposite?
1: Well, I mean, nationwide, um, if you look at a map of um, counties that Trump won, uh, the country looks pretty red, and uh, the Democrats have been winning the urban areas um, with a lot of certainty. And so, I think that if you look at the urban vote, if you turn it out, would those numbers, given the Electoral College, um, uh, advantage the Democrats? And the answer is clearly yes. But also, too, I mean, the important to point out this the urban areas that are more ethnically diverse and um, sometimes. Uh, more educated than, than the rural areas, and perhaps they see the importance of turning out. But North Carolina is, you know, the uh, eastern part of the state, the western part of the state, a lot of, you know, rural voters, and you have small towns, um, you know, uh, and some, you know, they may not get the, the satellite. You and I are, are in the satellite of, of Charlotte, a big voice, but when you get outside, say, um, you know Winston Salem. Even at Winston Salem, maybe you're not hearing the the voice of Charlotte, and uh, we may be isolated when it comes to the rest of the state, because, as you know, the Republicans in the state legislature, when we're not talking about the presidential election, but in the U.S. Congress election, have redistricted so much that um, you know, they pretty much can guarantee Republicans will uh, go to the U.S. House. Although that will change. That has changed a little bit. But that's incredible. And that's that's the conservative nature of the North Carolina State Legislature.
0: Yeah. And so now that's going to be a podcast that we're going to get into <laughs> later, no doubt.
1: I, yeah, I've got a whole, uh, I can speak <laughs> about that for a long time. Well, good. We're going to get you
0: <laughs> signed up for another run at this. Uh, we've talked so much about the presidential race, yeah. but obviously this is something where that ballot is going to be huge for the primary as well as in November. Uh, talk a little bit about Congress, where you also have an uh, an election that'll happen with the U.S. Senate. You that's going to be competitive as well as those House races.
1: Well, I think that um, you have you'll have you have going to have a primary. Um, uh, with two Republicans for the governor's race. you're wait, We're waiting to see who the Democratic nominee will be to run against Tom Tillis and um, several of the House races. And I think those are ones that are very important because if you've got a primary, um, you've got to make sure if you're a Republican um, right now or a Democrat that you really turn out the vote. I don't think there's any... Um, I haven't seen any information that says uh, either Republican or Democrat or Republican is going to be quote unquote uh, primaried, meaning the Tea Party might come out and pick um, a candidate. Tom Tillis, um, given some of his uh, writing this editorial op ed about Trump and the um, uh, he supported the wall, but he didn't like the emergency powers. Well, he got on Trump's bad list. And Garland Tucker, uh, for a while, was going to run against Tillis. Um, and that kind of quieted down. Um, so, excuse me, <laughs> Senator Tillis, but you've been having to walk a kind of fine line because you're, you're either um, 100% Trump or you're zero Trump. There's no—he doesn't tolerate— any kind of middle ground or marginal uh, support. You have to be all Trump or no
0: Trump. Yeah, 95% won't do. <laughs>
1: no, 95% <laughs> won't do.
0: Yeah. So, and the other side, you know, and I think most people figure that TELUS will pretty much breeze to the Republicans. Yes, way. yeah. That Democratic race, though, could be a bit more interesting.
1: It could be because I think you're looking at people, neither of whom have... Um, Huge name recognition for the Senate. And um, when you have um, for, um, uh, you know, you have for the Senate, you have Cal Cunningham and Erica Smith. Interesting enough, Republican groups, so I've learned, and I may may be incorrect, have been giving, they've been having a super PAC against, uh, or to run for giving super PAC money on behalf of Erica Smith, because I think they think Cal Cunningham has a better chance. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, these are these are mechanics and things that people that love politics like we do really find fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's really some interesting stuff, because, again, you have the, uh, the, the GOP and their super PACs supporting a candidate that they believe is less potent.
1: Absolutely. And that may be some of the th- same things about. You know, Bernie Sanders, and as you pointed out in the first money. You know, it's all about the money. Um, and um, I don't know that people are watching that race as closely, but if they did, they'd have to say, okay, who's paying for what? And I'm sure Erica Smith didn't say, I want your support from this super PAC.
0: Yeah, but um, because the, the way the laws are written, yeah. anybody can form a super PAC and roll out a commercial.
1: I, I want to mention one thing before um, uh, I forget. And that is kind of interesting to me that uh, both Vi, Vi Lyles and uh, former Governor Bev Perdue have endorsed Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't seen the, the statements which they made that declaration, if there were. I'm, um, I'm a little bit surprised they did that in really? advance of the primary.
0: Really? I mean, you because know. on the other hand, uh, former mayor and former uh, transportation secretary— Uh, Anthony Fox announced his support for Joe Biden in in our publication, of all places. (laughs)
1: Um, I forgot about that. Uh, I just, I think that it was, um, uh, and it may be a little early. I was thinking they might reserve until they see maybe how um, a Biden might be doing in in North Carolina. But I think that they must think that, um, as many people do, that it's going to take money. Um, to defeat Donald Trump. And um, uh Liles is in an interesting position because of some of the backlash she got about bringing the Republican National Convention um, to Charlotte. I think that's going to be, when you look at the general election, that's going to be a lot of free publicity for the Republicans. And I can't even anticipate the impact that's going to have. But every Republican in the state running for every office will have a little, like, you know, where they say, 15 minutes of fame or 10 minutes of fame. Um, so I don't know how that will help. But um, I think that it is, you have some people, and I can see that um, uh, probably Anthony Fox worked with Joe Biden in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I can see that as a little bit more, of course, these were these um, endorsements were before um, Bloomberg's uh, less than stellar performance in, in Nevada for the um, debate.
0: Yeah. When you put on your down-the-road futuristic hat, Yeah, what will the North Carolina primary turn on? Will it be demographics? Will it be money? Will it be TV advertising? Or is there a wild card?
1: Well, I think there's always a wild card in terms of... Um, the momentum. Who comes out of Nevada and South Carolina with the momentum? But um, I think some of it's going to turn down, turn into demographics. Because if you have um, Democrats who are thinking, and I know some myself, some of my friends have said, I early voted and I early voted for Bloomberg, and it's good to have those early votes in the bank because if something happens as it did in Nevada in terms of, oh, maybe this wasn't the (laughs) smartest choice. Um, And you may have buyer's remorse. Um, But I think some of it will be demographics and um, early voting and who's getting out to the polls already. I myself haven't voted yet, but I clearly intend to. Um, But I think it's demographics. And maybe, you know, it's a very expensive media market. Charlotte is very expensive. And so... um, Uh, the ads may come here more than they will some other places Uh, and it is a you know uh, semi-closed primary so republicans cannot vote in north carolina's primary unless they declare themselves unaffiliated Um, and so i think it's going to come down to demographics and um, if you have a lot of bernie sanders uh, supporters highly mobilized we have you know uh, a lot of um, students are mobilized. And we have a lot of uh, institutions of higher education in North Carolina. Um, if they turn out. And they might turn out in a primary um, more than, and we're talking about the primary here or the general election.
0: Yeah, for the primary.
1: For the primary, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, then um, I think they, they may turn out for, for Sanders. Um, uh, so I think it's, I'm seeing right now, unless Biden gets a lot of momentum out of South Carolina, that it's going to come down to um, uh, perhaps Bloomberg because of the polling numbers. And as you said, you know, we can't always look at those numbers, Um, but Bloomberg and and Sanders and who who gets that little edge, Um, you know, because Klobuchar and Buttigieg have really put forth a great effort, but it's not, I mean... Buttigieg is up there, but Klobuchar just hasn't had the showing uh, in the poll numbers that um, some people might have predicted from her pretty steady and sturdy debate performance.
0: Yeah, but I guess if you don't have the loot to do the advertising (laughs) and to create the ground game, then you're going to suffer.
1: Yeah, and I can't can't really figure out um, how Tom Steyer um, thinks he has... um, a chance in some of these primaries, but he's putting a lot of money into it. Um, I just don't see that he's got um, enough of the party affiliation and even the name recognition um, to, I mean, he was putting these ads out, you know, well in advance of... um, the 2020 election on impeachment. the president. Yeah, they need and, to impeach. Um, yeah. And I, you know, that may have made, people might think, oh, that's just still what he wants to do, even though the impeachment has already taken place. Um, so I don't know. He must have some good numbers um, to think, to keep investing this. Will he stop after Super Tuesday? I'm not sure he will. Will uh, Klobuchar maybe edged out she very well may be edged out because it's she doesn't have a lot of money um, as it is. So she's what will her, keep her in the race is momentum, and and people that are just maybe not happy with um, the older moderate Joe Biden, don't feel Pete Buttigieg is you know has paid his dues, and don't really like uh, Warren and Sanders uh, because of more left wing politics. And really think I, I don't like, you know, uh, Bloomberg is buying his way in, so that could leave you.
0: <laughs> well, we've seen this story before. It was called 2016. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, if you're okay with predicting top two in South Carolina and top uh, two in North Carolina, okay.
1: top two in um, in South Carolina, um, uh, Biden and Sanders. And top two in North Carolina right now, I'm seeing, I'm thinking um, Sanders and Bloomberg as well. I mean, you know, I don't know that Biden is going to have um, the traction, although um, you've got some, you know, strong Democrats in North Carolina. Um, and they may say, I think Biden is the safest choice um, uh, because some of these, you know, Bloomberg has not done a good job of defending himself with um, stop and frisk. He just hasn't, and he's starting to get more stories about, um, you know, these disclosure non-disclosure agreements with women. Um, Elizabeth Warren um, is—if um, he does get the nomination, Elizabeth Warren has given the Republicans a lot of good spots— about uh, why Bloomberg shouldn't be elected. Mm -hmm. Um, They could just clip out some of that from the debate. uh, And that's a hard thing about primaries. It can turn candidates against one another. Um, I don't think we're gonna have someone, a Trump that's going to do to the other contenders what Trump did to the other Republicans seeking the Republican nomination. It may be dirty um, uh, or maybe contested in terms of issues. But it's not personal character assassination. And that's what I think um, is um, is a good thing for the Democrats. So people aren't just saying, you know, I can't watch anymore.
0: Will anyone drop out after Super Tuesday?
1: Um, I think um, Amy Klobuchar might drop out um, because she really needs to have a strong showing. I don't know about Mayor Pete. I think that um, he might go another round but um, And he's invested in some ads um, in, uh, in North Carolina and some of the other states. But um, there are a number of states, um, Texas, Tennessee, um, uh, Alabama, Virginia, that are open primaries. And so that could be a wild card, if, and among others, that if Republicans jump in and say, who do I want uh, to be the nominee that I think has the least chance against Donald Trump? And that's something I just don't know, because we still have such a crowded field. We haven't had a crowded field. Um, and, and I say we, meaning voters, um, voters have not had a crowded field um, in the, for the Democratic nomination in a long time.
0: Yeah, because I guess during the Obama days, it was generally four or five tops in 2008. And then in 2012, it was an incumbent. Yeah, right? incumbent.
1: Yeah. And... Um, and um uh Hillary Clinton was looked on as the presumed nominee. People some people didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. But that was what people considered and some people just looked at Bernie Sanders and said, um, you know, he's just ideologically not with me. Um and so I think that um, you know, Clinton got the nomination and um and then some in North Carolina some people stayed home.
0: Yeah. And and I know this is going to be another episode at yeah. some point down the road, yeah. but we'll also want to talk about the role of women, not only as, Absolutely. As, uh, as folks who influence elections, but also as candidates. And so, you know, hold your powder on that yeah. one until <laughs> we can get together and, and, and do another podcast. But
1: when we get to, you know, before Super Tuesday, I think you have to look at North Carolina voters can get kind of confused. Uh, you have a photo ID. No, you don't have a photo ID. Do oh, we yeah. have a photo ID in the general election? Don't know yet. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> and at the meantime, you've got the judicial system still trying to figure all that oh out. Gosh. But there is there is no requirement for photo ID on Super Tuesday. No.
1: Um,
0: but the justices will probably get together at some point in time and make a decision yeah. on November.
1: But I mean, I still, I still think it's confusing for voters. You know, um, do I have to have? Which means the people that are going to vote. If they're the, you know, if there's confusion, they're going to have some form of photo ID with them because they may still think this is what I need. Um, and you know, um, uh, <laughs> it's a confused elector. What district am I in? Do I need photo ID? I had a friend call me and say, um, "I'm an unaffiliated. Can I vote in the primary, uh, North Carolina primary?" I said, "Yes," mm-hmm. um, but there are questions out there that some people you know, maybe just haven't taken the time to to look.
0: Um, And that's why we need civics (laughs) in the public schools. I'm just making a pitch. Oh, (laughs) I
1: I agree completely. I mean, I agree in financial literacy, but can you cut something else or, you know, trim something else and still get um, history in there? I mean, I had North Carolina history when I I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Lots of U.S. history.
0: Yeah. And you would be surprised at the number of people who don't know who they're, district representative is county commissioners forget the u.s house of representatives (laughs) it's like okay who is this person and again i think that part of that may be because you have such an influx of folks who are new to north carolina and new to mecklenburg county and they just don't know and once election season comes up they're totally off guard
1: yeah and i mean they pay attention about every two Maybe two years or every four years, and then they go back to their lives and um, and don't think about politics. But I think you're right. We need um, history, and we need um, you know we don't have much um, in the way sometimes of civics, just citizenship education, and not just history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So boy, again, one of the smartest <laughs> political analysts in this state, and to me. Underrated, And I'm, I'm not saying that just because you're here. But I'm just saying, well, in, in the pantheon of political scientists, well, you're you're top of the mountain as far as I'm concerned. Well, and, I'm just saying.
1: And I think one of the keys to a successful podcast is having a good conversation. <laughs>
0: and I think yeah.
1: we enjoy one another and have a good conversation.
0: Well, I enjoy it. There's no doubt about it. And for all of you out there, thank you for listening to The Stump with our I'm your host, Herb White, (laughs) and our special guest today is Davidson College political science professor, the good doctor, Susan (laughs) Roberts, and thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out at uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as our website, thecharlottepost.com. Wherever you get podcasting these days, come check us out. We'll be there, and uh, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, You know, the usual rogues gallery of social media. My name is Herb White. Thanks for listening.